Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi, and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host, Jim Nettles. And this week, we're going to pick back up on a topic we talked about a couple of weeks ago around AI and how AI is influencing uh, artwork. Well, now we're going to take a look at what's happening now with this new tool or not so new tool called ChatGPT and how it and similar tools are affecting us as writers. Uh, and so I kind of went ahead and did this this week because a friend of mine sent me an article uh, asking some stuff about ChatGPT, how it could be used in some business and development they're looking to do. We've had a lot of conversations in the tech industry about using it for generating code. Uh, we've been using the tool and similar tools like this for a long while. And ChatGPT's origins go back to about 2018. So this particular platform is still relatively new and recent. Um, even though its ancestors do go back, you know, uh, more than a decade. Um, and so when we take a look at this tool, one of the things that I've seen a lot more about is what does this mean to writers? Because ChatGPT, uh, when it rolled out and as a free tool, as people were starting to work with it and play with it, a number of people started going and saying, well, hey, write me a story. Uh, write me an article, write me this, that, or the other. And so the next thing that we're seeing and what we're seeing come out now, and this is what really triggered me going ahead and deciding to do this show this week, is the fact that somebody sent me a YouTube, um, a, a YouTube clip from somebody going and saying, hey, look, with ChatGPT and using these AI art systems, you can start in the morning and have a book done by night and be out on Amazon and be selling that day. And a couple of friends of mine were sending this to me and sending me more than one solution around this, but send me a lot of questions going, what's the reality here? And I've seen a lot of my friends in the writer community, both in fiction and nonfiction, um, in media and, and kind of all over the place, looking and trying to figure out what does this really mean for us as an industry? Um, much like the same question has been going around. Again, I, I do a lot of work in technology. What does this mean for developers? Everybody's looking going, does this mean I no longer have a job? And the answer is no. Um, the first thing I want to say as we dive into this is that ChatGPT and all of these tools like this are exactly that. They're tools. Um, but they are going to have a lot of implications for us. And it is going to change a lot of the ways we do things and some of that will be for the good and some of it won't. But like for anything, we just have to understand what it means for us and find ways to adapt with the technology. So let's actually talk a little bit about what is ChatGPT? What's the system? How does this work? And why is this question kind of important to us? Because I think the more that we know about these technologies and how they work, will mean a lot more about taking some of the fear out of what they mean for us and also give us a little bit more of an understanding as to how we can potentially learn to work with these tools and technologies. So what is ChatGPT? Well, at its basis, it's a lot like the predictive text on your phone. Um, if you ask ChatGPT, how does it work? 
it's going to give you an answer, something along the lines of it's a chat bot that generates consistent, coherent, and well-written or well-structured text responses and answers to questions, or at least most of the time. Now, how does this technology actually work? Well, like I mentioned, it is a lot like the predictive text on your phone. And the way that that works is it goes in, it says, okay, well, you entered this word based on your patterns and also kind of based on common usage. Here's the most common three words that are probably going to be used next. Well, it's a little bit similar to that, but it's a lot more complex. It runs on something called a transformer architecture, meaning that it takes large chunks of data and information, um, uses a series of algorithms and a lot of different forms of machine learning to create a response to a question. And the fun part of this is it is trained using a combination of the systems and machine learning and also living human coaches that help to train that artificial intelligence. So when you ask a question, um, let's say you posit to it, you're doing research on how concrete is made, or maybe you're asking about what kind of, uh, you know, what kind of pins that Napoleon wore. Uh, maybe what you're doing is you're saying, write me a poem about, you know, the wing of a bird, whatever it is that you're going in and asking it. When you enter it, all of the words of your inquiry are broken down into a series of parts. Uh, it breaks it down into sentences, then individual words. It gives them a series of weighting. And this is a process called tokenizing. So if you start looking at information, you ask, what is a token? Well, fundamentally, it's, it's words and components of words that are broken down out of the inquiry. Then the next thing that happens is those tokens are pulled into the system weighted for importance, for relevance, and they use something called attention mechanisms. And the way that attention works is by giving these systems weight and relevance. Um, it goes and says, okay, this is a more complex idea. This is a simpler idea. This is a filler word. And the more complex or the more context there is around a given term, the more work the system's going to do to try to figure out what does this mean in terms of relevance of the request. Now, it does this by going and taking and comparing these tokens to what's stored in the memory modules. Uh, in other words, it goes and says, all right, I've been asked for, <clears throat> asked for this. The little librarian goes over and says, all right, well, let's see what's in the card catalog. That's kind of a very rudimentary and not really that technically accurate way of representing it. But fundamentally, that's what happens is we take the request, we break it down to its parts, and we compare it against this huge library uh, that's given a large number of parameters to work with. Now, the way this works is that ChatGPT 3.0 and the current version is 3.5 uh, was developed over a pretty quick uh, turnaround. It was developed over a series of a few months and totally has about 300 years of what's called parallel training. So if you had one person teaching it, this would be about 300 years worth of learning, and it was done over a few months. Now, it has a basic setup of 300 billion tokens. So in other words, that's word fragments, that's series, that's pieces that are all there that are available for reference when you enter your inquiry. And then it compares that using 175 billion different parameters. So when you put it in, it weighs all of this out and pulls all of this data together and uses us to respond to a query. Now, what gets really interesting is where all of this training came from. 
Where did all these tokens, where did all these fragments, where did all these parameters come from? Well, part of it came from the human beings that helped to program and code the system, gave it a set of rules, gave it a set of codes. But it also learned to speak and, and create more coherent messages from some really interesting sources. Now, it looked at large repositories of nonfiction works, scientific works, technical works, uh, different craft works, philosophy. It also went out and looked at a large sampling of fiction uh, across a ton of different genres. It took a look at things like Wikipedia. It looked at a lot of different major news sources. But not only did it do that, it went to things like Twitter. It went to Reddit. It went to sources like Scribe. Uh, it scanned Blogspot. It went out to Google and even things like Archive of Our Own to go and look at what people were talking about, how they talk, how they communicated, and fundamentally, even about what their ideas and opinions are about different topics. Now, one of the things that they do say is this, once it's loaded, once that scan is done, the original works are consumed by the system and then the original works are discarded. So hypothetically here, part of what we have solves some of the copyright kind of dispute we've had going on in the art side of things. Now, there could be a dispute here, or at least some debate about copyright and copyrightable work and the use of it being pulled into these systems, these engines, because part of the idea is that by pulling it in and tokenizing the sources means that we're also anonymizing the ideas and we're starting to blend them in this giant blender. Now, what kind of things then can we really use this technology for? Um, again, it's a chatbot. I'm putting something in text and it's spitting me something back out in text. Well, one of the first ways that this really was used, and we saw this out of China, was that it generated news stories. And what was interesting then was the news stories written by the AIs, and it was these were not written by ChatGPT, I do want to be clear. But these news stories were generated by a, a similar type of an AI. Those news stories were then fed into a system that generated a virtual image of the presenter. So in other words, it wasn't a real human being. And it generated the voices used by these presenters. So based on a prompt, they were able to actually craft a news presentation from beginning to end by nothing more than a prompt. Now, what we can see being done now with ChatGPT is it can be used to generate a news story. Um, it can be used. And one of the things that we're seeing now are a lot of systems being built to leverage the ChatGPT engine as the back end. And adding in on the front end, new ways of entering the parameters, new ways to enter the tool, new ways to create it. So we're seeing now options to use ChatGPT as part of being a virtual assistant, the ability to respond to things, um, the ability to be a customer service agent. You know, we all love the IVR responses when we call into those. Well, this may actually give a next tier of capabilities to voice response systems, um, automated customer service, chatbots, things like this. So this is going to be one of those things that is we're going to see much more of it. There's no question about that. Uh, one of the things that I think that we as creators may find use in this is it may become helpful in doing social media moderation, moderation of our groups, managing these groups, and being able to respond to more of the common questions 
that may come up or be able to tell people that's not appropriate within our groups. Uh, same thing on social media, where if somebody posts a question, it may be able to post a response for us and may even be able to learn to post that response more in tune with how we would respond individually instead of how the system responds. Now, obviously, you can do a lot of things like respond to, to basic general inquiries, uh, requests on the system, requests for information. We're also seeing it being able to do things like generate and create emails, reports, and even do some basic analysis of data. And one of the things, again, within my industry, we see a lot of too here is being able to be used to create computer code. It's being used to generate a lot of Python. And so it, there's a lot of questions here as to how is this going to affect a lot of different service type industries? Now, as writers, what does this mean for us? So if I look at the other part of my life, I write fiction. I write nonfiction. I write articles. I do a lot of these things. And a lot of people I know in the writing world are concerned. They're fearful about this coming out there and potentially being used to replace them. Because it can craft a, a good, solid email. It can craft marketing materials. It might even be able to craft newsletters based on prompts. Well, let's look at this and consider this. It, it, it's one of those things that, again, as we go further, it's a tool. And how we input these requests will have a lot of influence on this. And as more and more companies are built to use ChatGPT in the back end and to potentially influence the responses that come, the way that this works will be, we'll see these tools improve more and more. Um, maybe it's going to come and create stories based on the news. So in other words, maybe what it does is it compiles a lot of different news, uh, news stories that were published and gives a summation of it. Or maybe it crafts kind of a more well-rounded piece that also then has the ability to include stuff from the Twitter feed. What are people saying about it? Quotes, things along these lines. Or maybe we're using it to write fiction. You know, we're using it to write poetry. Can it do this? Yes, we're already seeing people try to do this. And when we get a little bit further, we're going to talk about some of the problems about this. Um, Chat GPT and similar systems to this, though, I think are going to be, we're going to see much more of this being used in to help to translate from one language to another. Uh, much like the show we just did with JD on translating between languages, we know that there's a lot of complexity in how we select an opt to translate. You know, tools like Google Translate have been around for a long time. Well, as systems like this learn more and more, they'll be able to actually optimize and make better translations. Uh, one of the things where I do think there is going to be a big value for us as writers is ChatGPT and other tools like this are going to be really helpful for research because it can go out there and scan large volumes and large repositories and bring us back kind of a concise answer. And one of the things that we do see happening is, for example, Microsoft and the Bing search engine, they are partnered up with ChatGPT and are looking to use ChatGPT to help improve the responses that they give as a search engine. Now, one last thing that I've already seen done, and honestly, I will admit to have done it a little bit with it myself, is I've used it to write bad poetry and do a little bit of stand-up comedy, um, just testing the limits of the system. How does it work? What can it do? What can it do? So let's talk a little bit more about some of the problems and the limitations. 
Well, when we look at ChatGPT and even the 3.5 uh, build that's currently out there, um, it's pretty limited on the information available post-2021 um, because that was kind of the period of time that was used to, to educate and train and teach the system. One of the things I think everybody needs to keep in mind is that ChatGPT is currently out there. It's free. It's available as a free tool, partially because what we're doing is, is to helping to teach it. Um, we're helping this engine help to learn. This is part of the reason it's out and available to us for free um, is because we're using it because they want to see how people will use it, what kind of questions come in, what kind of responses. And as we do go further into ChatGPT4 and largely IDing, you know, with the idea there's future generations coming, the work that we're doing with them now, the playing we're doing with the tools now, um, that access is not going to be free for forever. And I expect that that access is not going to be free for really probably even that much longer as we see more and more of these tools that start to use it. And the project itself starts to make more money. One of the things that was strongly recommended is because the investors that are investing and pouring the money into the project, and I will tell you, this is an expensive project to run. Again, right now it's a nonprofit. It's not making any money. But it's it, because it's being backed by investors. Well, at some point, they're going to want to see that money start to come back. So access to the system is going to be becoming more and more limited over time. Now, another one of the, the issues we see, and it you are warned about this with the system, is the system isn't always right. It's not always correct. Sometimes it's because it didn't understand the question you asked. Sometimes it has very limited information on it. So, for example, let's say you're asking about news stories uh, from 2022. The amount of information it's going to have is going to be really limited, and it just may not know. Um, maybe it was a very niche subject that nobody talked about enough to really have much of a basis to work from. Um, or maybe the criteria for the information, uh, the different information bases that are out there was not in such a format or not in such a way that it was acceptable. It didn't meet the linguistic standards. It didn't meet the informational standards. It didn't meet some of the background and factual standards. And one of the things that we do see sometimes is the chat GPT is saying, okay, you gave me a question. I'm going to give you an answer. I don't have anything better to tell you. Well, sometimes it does what's called hallucinates. Well, if it hallucinates, it can give you something that sounds entirely coherent, but is factually absolutely incorrect and the system doesn't know any better than you do whether or not it's true or not unless you go do other work now there are also a lot of other limitations to the system and the data sets because of the rules in the system um, especially if you're trying to write fiction or you're trying to write some of these sorts of things um, there are a lot of limitations around anything that creates conflict um, if you ask questions about, for example, bullying, or if you ask about um, aggressions, things like this, there are severe restrictions around sexual content. So if you're trying to write romances, you're going to probably get some cozy stuff in there, but you're not going to get a whole lot of heat. The system is not really allowed to give you an opinion or really provide advice. Um, it can provide some guidance and it may give you um, some generally accepted ideas. But it's not going to come in and say, here's what you need to do. Uh, there's also a lot of restrictions around unless something is generally considered an acceptable fact or concept, 
you're not going to find a whole lot of controversial topics being out presented out there. Or if you do find it being presented, it's going to have a lot of weasel wording and limitations to it. And I don't necessarily have a problem with this because at, at the same time, the system is operating with the information it has. But one of the biggest limitations it has is it can't really make deductions. It can't make these large leaps in logic. Um, you know, it doesn't have discernment. It really doesn't know the difference between what's fact and what's fiction. It just knows what's in its data sets and the relationships that are there, the parameters that have been taught to it over time. In this way, it's a lot like a person, not that it's conscious, but that it's operating with the best information that it has, and it's making the best decision based on the rules it's been given. And if that person has limited information or hasn't necessarily done their homework or necessarily has a particular biases, you're going to see that come through. And that's true here with ChatGPT as well. Now, another one of those things that we've seen, and I've actually tried to play with this, is if you create uh, too complex a request, there's too many factors in your request, well, it can overwhelm the system. It'll just kind of look and go, don't, don't know. Um, or it'll give you, again, those nonsensical answers. And much like I was just mentioning, sometimes you can actually see the biases of both the data sets that were used and those of the builders in the kinds of responses you get. Um, again, this kind of goes back to some of the limitations of the system, but also you can see sometimes how it will favor certain responses over others, even though it tries to be apolitical, it tries to be a religious. You can still see certain ideas slip through in the responses that come across. And fundamentally, this really means there's no real creativity coming from the system. Um, the fact that there's no creativity means that at best, what you're going to get from the system is average at best. The system is going to give you a response that is non-offensive generally. It's going to give you one that gives you an idea of an answer, but it's not going to give you the answer. And a lot of the questions and even some of the articles I've seen written, some of the, you know, the hustlers on YouTube and Facebook and stuff like this is because they're talking about the tool, about something they don't understand. And often because it's a business they don't understand. If I go back to the YouTube video that I, I sat through where they talked about, oh, all you have to do are these things. It's going to give you a story. You slap on a cover made with MidJourney, and bam, you're on Amazon. They didn't really look at or read the quality of the work. And based on what I saw, they probably didn't have the skills to understand that either. If I look at what was being said, what was being pitched, and how it's being presented, the big challenge here is that they were given something that was a starting point. I would say that because they were working with and playing with a tool that they were trying to spit something out and trying to sell largely BS, they don't necessarily understand the tool and their audience doesn't either. And this is one of those things I would challenge you on, much like anything. If you don't agree with me, great, let me know. But again, these are tools I've worked with a lot and I've also written a lot. So if you want to put out good quality work, this tool may give you a good starting point, 
It may help you with research. It may help you validate some ideas, but it's definitively not going to give you a finished product. And that's true whether that finished product is a sales email, creating your newsletter, creating a story, or creating a news piece. It gives you the best information it has. Um, and as we look forward to things like GPT-4 and the next generation, there's a lot of questions here on how these are going to be trained because of how much data is really available and left. You know, about 80% of the, the data created on a daily basis that's publicly accessible is in video format. It's in spoken word. It's in podcasts and all these things. Well, the next generation is probably going to start to look to use some of this data, but largely a lot of the other written text doesn't necessarily meet the standards that have been set up for the project, which means either they're going to have to loosen some of those standards and increase the rules that are used to help determine what is a good style of communication. What is an acceptable answer? What's an acceptable concept? You know, one of the things I will give credit for is based on what I've seen and what I've done to play with the system, there is a lot of ethical guidance that's been put in the system, which I think is beneficial. It's helpful and does give, give good operating parameters to the tool for a user. But again, it also means there's a lot of restrictions there that are going to limit creative output it's going to limit the creativity. So what does this all fundamentally mean for writers, for business owners, for anybody looking to play with and work with these tools? Well, I'm going to start with the fact, remember, it is just a tool. It is not the end-all be-all. It's not going to replace you tomorrow. It's not going to replace you in 20 years. I think that we will see this influence a lot of how work is done and created but again, it's going to just be a tool. And as a writer, you might use it for research. You might use it to get creative about ideas. You might use it to generate writing prompts. Um, and you might even use it to outline or generate story content or generate story ideas. And it may give you a starting point, but you're not going to use it to create a story from whole cloth. And I don't know any writer, any true writer that thinks that's viable. If I use a tool, I use the tool. But one of the things that I do know is often if you're having to use the tool um, and you're expecting this to create something that you're using to express your ideas, your vision, it's not your vision if you use this tool. And writers write, creators create because it's part of their drive. And the people that love and follow us for our work and consume our work are doing it because of the essence of what's there. It's the life, the nuance, the actual creativity and essence. And these are not things that these tools will ever be able to do. Now, some good news here is, I think that these tools are gonna become much more prevalent and helping to manage social media. Um, one of the things I'll be talking about somewhere here in the next few weeks are changes coming um, around social media management, some of the potential legislations and what this means for us as creators being responsible and more responsible for what happens in our social media, our pages, our groups, things like this. Another place where I really think this is going to become helpful is going to be editing is again, I don't believe this will be the end all be all, 
But much like ProWriting Aid or like Grammarly, a lot of these kinds of tools that are out there, they're going to be much more capable in the guidance they provide when they provide edits or grade the work, give you an idea as to what the quality is, and maybe even give you some guidance. But they're still not going to see plot holes. They're still not going to see the fact that you change the character's eyes from brown to blue. Um, they're still not going to see and provide necessarily all the kinds of guidance about dialects and affectations and all those things that make characters live. Again, I believe this is well beyond this technology for a good while to come. I do think that we're going to continue to see this become a much bigger part of translating our ability to communicate. Now, much like we had in the show with JD, doing a translation means a lot of thought has to go in to not only uh, translate the words, but to make sure that you're still communicating the idea that depending on your audience, one word may choose precedence over another, or maybe a joke won't work that, you know, a joke you tell in English won't work in Spanish. So you find something that's comparable. Again, these are things that the tool can't do, but it might help in translating and giving you that initial baseline. Um, also, as writers, I think that we can use this to help speed up and code things like our marketing and maybe some blog posts. Um, we can use this and to help speed up our marketing, um, you know, where maybe we use this to say, give me, you know, 20 pitch lines to look at. And you can go and choose a good starting point to work from for your pitch lines or your ad content. You know, we're going to see a lot more solutions, a lot more tools being built using ChatGPT and other similar engines like this as their back end. Um, and eventually, and I think this is coming, I think we might even see some of this as soon as ChatGPT4, where we're starting to see more of a merger of the chat with images um, and other AI technologies where it's looking at an image and able to give you a little bit more of an analysis of the image itself, or maybe taking video, taking audio, taking the language and what's being said there and being able to help us work with and interpret those much more. So again, I think we see a lot of potential in the future with things like chat AI. Uh, chat GPT, if we look at these kinds of AI-driven tools, there is a big future here, and it's it's here. Um, I can no longer say that it's coming. I've worked with chatbot tools. I've worked with a lot of these kinds of AI technologies for a lot of years. Um, and so I've seen them in a lot of different generations. And so I guess from that perspective, I'm less surprised about some of the capabilities. And I, you know, I, for one, mostly embrace what's coming. What I'm most concerned about, again, is going to be the people that don't know the tools and understand the technologies they're playing with, and they think that they can use this to game the system. And anytime we see people try to use these kinds of tools and technologies to game the system, it usually doesn't last long. Because I think one of the things that we'll start to see are, for example, Amazon. Um, I expect that they will start to have scanners that are able to look for the patterns that come out from these kinds of tools. Uh, we're starting to see things like the New York school system ban access to chat GPT. I think that we're going to see, you know, there's been questions about what happens with plagiarism? What happens as students start to use these kinds of tools? Well, the answer is this. Because they are so consistent in what they respond, 
This also means it's really easy to see the patterns of what these tools write. At the end of the day, I don't think this is going is an end-all, be-all solution, and I don't think it ever will be. It's a starting point. You know, like any AI, any AI system, it's easy to see the telltale signs that that's what created it. It's easy to see the flaws. And so to me, I think that this is going to be a tool that helps speed up some people. Um, it's going to be a tool that helps accelerate the creative process. For those people that embrace the technology and look at it as a tool for their toolbox, can it give you a starting point? Sure. Can it help you maybe break that writer's block? Can it help you get past that hurdle you're sitting at? Absolutely. I will tell you, I've been playing with ChatGPT. I've been playing with some of the other engines and platforms, uh, partially out of curiosity and partially just to be able to write some of the articles that are coming, to answer questions that come in, and honestly, evaluating the technology for some of the other projects and things that I do professionally. So am I afraid of it? Absolutely not. I've been seeing this technology come for a long time. I've worked with it. I've played with it. Um, I think that it, for those that are surprised at this and tools like Midjourney, um, playing with art, creating things these ways, using these AI technologies, these are fun tools. They're fun toys. But I think also people are going to be surprised to discover when the price points and things that are currently free really start being charged for much more to the price point that they're they're worth. And I think at that point, when these become much more commercial tools, we'll also see a lot of the garbage that's being generated be flushed from the system. I think that as commercial sites, again, if I look at things like Amazon, uh, Kobo, Nook, different platforms like this, they're going to wind up having to scan for these kinds of stories because they're not written by the person. A little bit like I talked about when we talked about AI-driven art is a question of who owns the copyright, who owns that written word. Because I think if you find, by you start looking into the user agreements and things like this, um, there'll be a lot of questions about who owns that written word, how much of it you can claim as your own. Uh, so are there a lot of issues to be shaken out around these tools, these technologies, these contexts? Yeah, there are. And so I encourage everybody to go out there, check them out. Don't go toward them, towards them and have a degree of fear. I just suggest you play with them, get comfortable with them, understand what they can and can't do for you. And one of the things you might find out is that it's a really helpful tool to help you get past maybe some of the hurdles, the problems, the questions you run into. And what I suspect will happen is most hardcore writers most hardcore creators, we're going to adapt to these tools and technologies pretty quickly and use them where they benefit us. And other than that, it's still button seat looking at the blank page. So until next week, get some words on that page, play with the AI, uh, play with chatbots a little bit, go play with some mid-journey, and let's see what you guys can create to beat Skynet. We'll see you again next week.